This is The Padcast, your privacy and data podcast with me, Anthony Brown, interviewing leaders from across the industry to provide you with news, views, insight, and opinion. Join me for series three, where I'll be talking to privacy thought leaders about their stellar careers. This is Journeys Through Privacy. Hello there. I'm Anthony Brown, and uh, I'm very pleased to welcome you to a brand new series of the Privacy and Data Talks podcast, otherwise known as the podcast. Sorry it's been a little while, but it's, it's great to be back with the bang for series three, a series of talks that we'll be calling Journeys Through Privacy. Each episode, I'll be talking to a leading privacy thought leader about their career journey. We'll be discussing their stellar career in detail and learning more about their experiences along the way, both good and bad. I hope these discussions and the sharing of experiences from leading lights will be useful for those already working in the privacy community and those considering it as a career, whether it be as a lawyer, non-lawyer, operational or technical role. The privacy community really is a broad church which now has a variety of super exciting career paths of which I hope to explore over the coming episodes. So anyway, without further ado, today I'm really excited to be joined by somebody that I'm sure many of you will know. Eduardo Usteran is global co-head of the Hogan Lovell's Privacy and Cybersecurity Practice and is widely recognized as one of the world's leading privacy and data protection lawyers and thought leaders. Eduardo, it's great to see you and a really warm welcome to the podcast. Thank you. How's 20... You're welcome. How's 2023 going for you so far? It's, it's going well. Uh, um, I think uh, almost looking forward to, to the spring now, but uh, very, very happy so far. Thank you. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, as we record, um, it's the 1st of March today, so um, it's still a bit chilly, but um, we're making progress. So nice. anyway, um, Eduardo, I've known you for um, a number of years now. Um, I was really keen to have you on the show as you've had a really outstanding career so far. Um, and, um, you know, as we've said, you're internationally recognized as a leader within the privacy space. Um, I know that in your early career, um, you you chose to leave your native Spain behind and move to the UK. So I was really interested in digging a bit deeper on what happened around that time. But if you don't mind, let's just start. If you can please take us back to your very early days. I mean, what, what was Eduardo Usteran, the student, like? <laughs> well, thank, thank you very much, uh, first of all, for inviting me to, to chat with you today, Anthony. It's a, it's a pleasure. And uh, even, pleasure. even more fun to go and, uh, and re- try to remember what uh, being a student was like. In, in those days, I'm talking of the sort of late 80s, uh, early 90s, being a law student, at least in Spain, involved spending a minimum of five years at university. So that's, that's what I did, first of all. I, I spent five years uh, in a library studying and, uh, and then trying to uh, recite everything I had learned uh, briefly at an exam So for, for five years. And then, um, and then I decided, because it was the early 90s and Spain was a, a tough place for a, for a young law graduate to find a job, at least someone without without uh, connections in high places. I I to Britain uh, to study even more. Uh, I, I, <laughs> the only thing I had done for for nearly twenty years or more than twenty years, and uh, I decided to come here to study a bit more. And that that was I guess the the beginning of my 
uh, of my journey into privacy by, by coming to the UK to do a master's. Wow. Okay. So that's interesting. So you, so you came over to the UK. When you say study, so did you go to a, a university in the UK or? So you did. So you did a master's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I went. And what was that? I went to Leicester University. It, imagine this is. Um, I think it was 1993. Uh, the internet didn't exist. So so that you, <laughs> how 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 do you find about courses or masters if you are in uh, living in northern Spain? And uh, you want to go abroad and study something in English, and it, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy because a library wouldn't really have much information other than the odd uh, brochure that was probably ten years old. But uh, through some advice from lecturers at university and and others, um, I found about some good programs in in the UK. I, I was very keen to come to the UK, uh, a land of opportunity, uh, which I think it still is, and. Um, and uh, yeah, and I applied to three or four universities. I got in. I got offers from maybe not all of them, but at, at least two or three. And I decided that Leicester sounded like a nice place. And uh, we have, without having ever been to Leicester or having ever visited Leicester University, I uh, embarked myself into into this journey yeah, to to study a master's and, uh, at Leicester Uni. And was that a law? Was that a master's in law? Yeah, it was an international trade law or something to that effect, master, an LLM. Mm. And it was one of those that you had a menu of, I don't know, 15 or 20 subjects and you had to choose four. So I, I chose the four that sounded more exciting or, or, or more different to what I had already studied. Um, not, none of those said, said data protection, by the way. I think the closest to that was something like telecoms or, or competition law or intellectual property. And so I picked those type of subjects, thinking that technology and communications was going to be a, a leading uh, issue for in, in, in the development of, of new areas of law. And that was a little bit my, my thinking at the time. So it sounds like you were, you know, very early on in your life, you 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 sort of wanted to be a lawyer. You'd identified that as a, as a career for you. What what drew you in the first place? Do you think? How did it all come about? Um, maybe I think it was more of a, an elimination process than a, a vocation to be a lawyer. There, there is no tradition of uh, anyone being a lawyer in in my family, but um, I knew I wasn't that good at sciences. Um, and in terms of your humanities, I like history a lot. I like literature, literature a lot. Um, but I thought, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to make a living necessarily by, by knowing a lot about the, the French Revolution. So I thought law sounds like something that it doesn't involve a lot of mathematics. And, um, and um, you may be able to make a living. So almost by elimination, I, I chose law. Um, and um, in the end, um, these days, I'm doing a lot of mathematics by, by looking at the, how <laughs> algorithms work and so on. But, but at least at the time, it sounded less, less scary than other, other subjects. So, you, so obviously, you finished your, your master's. And then, and then what happened? Did you go into a law firm and train? Or? Well, uh, <laughs> the year in Leicester obviously changed my life because I met my wife. Uh, and uh, she's from Canada. And we were both in, uh, in, 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 in neutral territory at the time, obviously, in the UK. And we thought, well, if we find jobs here, 
we can stay together and uh, and let's let's try to find a job and of course i thought myself that uh, getting a, a job even as a paralegal in a in a british law firm whatever happened next would be a very good move from from a professional perspective just because uh even if i was going to go back to spain uh which was i guess my original plan i would i would be able to say that not only i I had a master's, uh, I could speak a bit of English, and uh, but I had some experience of working in a law firm in the UK, which would have looked pretty good, I think, in, in the early 90s in, in Spain. So with that objective of staying in the UK um, and also finding a job, that's, uh, that's what I tried to do shortly after I finished my master's. Okay, and, and so what materialized there then? So what happened was, uh, again, in, in those days, uh, email didn't exist or, or <laughs> outside universities. And uh, I sent loads of faxes <laughs> to law firms. <laughs> I, uh, I, I thought they had an international, they were sufficiently international or someone had mentioned to me that they may be prepared to, uh, to recruit a, a paralegal from a different country. And um, one of those law firms uh, in Birmingham uh, was receptive to that. I was Martino Johnson and I got a, an interview and I bought myself a suit and, <laughs> and I went uh, to, to Birmingham to do an interview and um, whatever I said worked or, or did the trick because I got a, a, a job offer for a six-month paralegal position in Birmingham. So I, I then uh, moved to Birmingham and I started to, to work as a as a lawyer, even though I wasn't qualified in the UK yet. Amazing. So I'd, I'd imagine that the young Eduardo at that time was, uh, well, you'd already demonstrated that you were a go-getter. You were prepared to take risks. You must have an entrepreneurial spirit in you, wanting to better yourself. Um, and I guess, oh, I'm sure that um, the, the firm that you joined as a paralegal will have spotted this in you and obviously thought, well, six months, come on, let's, you know, let's continue this. Uh, it sounds like that for sure. What, what happened there? How long were you there? And so did they help you then train as a UK lawyer or? Yeah. So what happened there, I mean, so my job as a paralegal, I didn't even know what that was. I had never, ever worked in a law firm. I didn't really know what a law firm truly did, let alone a, a British law firm. So I thought, well, whatever I do, I need to do a good job, whatever it is. And, and I seem to remember um, giving jobs like making photocopies and things like that. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to make the best photocopies that these guys have ever seen. And I remember, <laughs> I don't know, putting posters around the edges to make sure that there were no uh, lines and things like that. So. I probably took a long time to make, <laughs> but that was it. Was with that spirit of trying to impress my employers that I started my six-month contract, and I, again I managed to impress them enough for them to extend it to, to another for another six months. In the meantime, I realized that even though I was already qualified uh, under Spanish law as a Spanish lawyer, and I could have uh, practiced as a lawyer as a qualified lawyer in Spain. And I had a, uh, my law degree and a master's, and I spoke I spoke uh, Spanish, which I thought was a helpful thing to do in uh, in, in a in a foreign country. Um, all of that was not particularly helpful without being a solicitor, because 
without being a solicitor, all you could aspire to be is, is a, was a paralegal. So I thought, okay, to make the rest of the stuff count, all, the, all these other uh, things that I, I have, I really need to become a solicitor. So I decided to study to pass what it was at the time, the Qualified Lawyers Transfer Test, which was a mechanism to, uh, to qualify as an English solicitor once you were qualified in a different jurisdiction. And by taking a test and showing that yeah, you had some experience of working at a law firm, which at the time I was starting to have, um, I, uh, it, took, uh, it took a little bit of time. I, I, I'm not ashamed to say that the first time I actually failed the, the test, uh, I think I didn't, I didn't uh, study enough, I guess, or, or my brain was not uh, ready yet. But uh, the law, I have to say, the law firm was super, super supportive because uh, I guess they saw this guy <laughs> that was uh, with a, uh, trying, trying to, to make a career. Uh, I was already, then for the first time, data protection started to appear in the horizon. And we can talk about, about how, what was the first data protection job I ever did. So I think this law firm, again, was very entrepreneurial in that respect. And uh, they thought, okay, well, let's help this guy and see and see what he can do for us. So that's that's how amazing, that's the, amazing. Whole thing started. Are you um, are you still in touch with any of those people? Have they followed your your career and realized what they began or helped to begin? <laughs> well, I, in fact, I, I am in touch at least with one person there um, who writes uh, every at least every Christmas, and um, and I and I know some of the people that are. I still there. So yes, um, uh, not, we haven't seen each other for a while, but uh, I, I know I know they are there, and um, I'm, and every time I have an opportunity to publicly thank that law firm for what it did for me, I do. So yeah, thank you, Martin Johnson, because that that was uh, the the beginning of my career, and and I wouldn't be uh, I wouldn't be here today. We're talking with you if if I hadn't had that chance, and they they hadn't thought that I could do something for them. Absolutely. Well, hats hats off to them, definitely. Um, uh, so then you, I think you then moved to Berwyn Leighton Paisner, obviously now known as um, BCLP or Brian Cave Leighton Paisner. Um, and I think you spent uh, the, what six years there. Um, when you moved there, Eduardo, what what was what did your focus look like? Your practice look like? So I moved there. I think it was probably like 19, at the end of nineteen ninety seven or something. Like that. By then, what had happened was again, and Martin o. Johnson still as a paralegal. I started to uh, get questions from from other partners uh, who had been asked by their clients questions about data protection law, which nobody knew anything about. And again, this is the kind of job that uh, when no, nobody knows anything about, the paralegal goes and research things. And that. Um, and I and the and the other advantage I had was that it was I was just the right generation of people who knew how to use the internet. So I was this this guy who was able. In, it, we didn't even have an internet connection at first at the at, at Martin and Johnson. So I used to go to Birmingham University and use uh, the computers there to do research on the internet, which was very very slow, but it was still very impressive. So through that. Um, I was able to get information about uh, how to register with the data protection registrar and things like that. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I became the, the go-to person for data protection questions. 
there was also the beginning of, of the internet as a, as a way of doing business. And um, I sort of carved myself a little bit of a, of a role uh, at Martin & Johnson in doing that kind of work. And what happened was that eventually I did qualify as a solicitor whilst I was still there. And they said to me, look, uh, you seem to be very, very keen to develop a career in, in, in data protection and internet law. And we want to be honest with you. We, we don't have a lot of that type of work. I'm not sure you're gonna really generate all of your own work with being a, a newly qualified. So you, know, you, you can stay here and, and perhaps do more commercial or deal with commercial law issues. Or if you really, really want to uh, uh, look into these new issues, perhaps uh, you need to look more widely, which again was very uh, truthful of, of, of them to approach it like that. So that prompted me to say, okay, what is out, out there outside this law firm in Birmingham? <laughs> and, uh, and I looked at uh, possible in-house positions, uh, law, another law firms, and that led me to an interview, to several interviews, but one of them at what was then called Paisner & Co., a law firm in London on Fleet Street, and I had an interview there where I was literally grilled by uh, a couple of partners, including uh, a wonderful partner uh, called Linda Fasani. And uh, she, she, she was there with her uh, newborn baby, who I thought was, was there to try to distract me. Anyway, <laughs> with all these questions about internet and data protection and all that. And, and again, I was, I was really in my, in my element uh, answering uh, these very nerdy questions that they probably didn't know the answers themselves. So that, uh, again, I managed to impress them enough to, to give them a job. And that, that was the beginning of my, of my time at what was then Paisner & Co., then it merged with Berwick Layton. Uh, so I was at Berwick Layton Paisner for, as you say, six years. Wow, amazing. So, so what a time to, you know, to be around, uh, the, I guess, all the dot-com boom time, everything. There's the Y2K, everything's going on. And so you're, you're here, you, you must have been thinking, blimey. You know, what a time to be alive. You know, there's so much exciting, interesting stuff here. And so it's, it sounds like, I mean, as you just alluded to or said that, you know, that the, the people who are probably asking you questions may not have known the answers themselves. So you must have been, have to be really proactive around this time, going out there, speaking to people, learning. Um, you know, it's really sort of cutting edge stuff, I guess. And that comes from within, I guess, within a person in their career, that drive, that, 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 that desire to learn. Did how is is that kind of really a synopsis is how of how you were around that sort of time as a person? Yeah, and I would say, I mean, without getting to, I guess too too philosophical, um, we are always learning in the sense that the moment you think you know stuff is the moment you become obsolete. So, uh, to say that uh, at that time, I, I had a, a sort of an ambition to to learn new things is it, an understatement because everyone everything was so new you know in a sense that still being a lawyer was completely new to me working in a in a law firm that now in london was uh, a new experience um and and the technology was developing as you say the the year 2000 that that was 
a big question mark. What was going to happen on the 1st of January of 2000 with all the yeah. computers in the world crash? And it was, it was kind of a scary in a way, but kind of uh, exciting in terms of, oh, how can lawyers contribute to the solution? And, uh, <laughs> and, and that, and of course, data protection was starting to be a thing, a data protection law in 1998, the UK, uh, was the first country to uh, implement the data protection directive of 1995. So uh, we were advising, and again, Pacer and Co. was very uh, into advising technology clients or data-driven clients, uh, internet, internet businesses, and therefore uh, the work was, the top quality work was, was there. And I threw myself in, into that, tried to learn from, from other partners. And, and, and that's, uh, but that, that's something that you, you should never stop doing in a, in a way, I think, because uh, again, there are new things happening all the time. And, uh, and that, that approach is really what makes your, your career interesting in a way. Do you still have um, clients from back then, or people who've been on the journey with you? So, so the answer is yes. I can think of at least one client uh, that I was literally visiting in the US last week, uh, which was at the very least introduced to me by a client of, of Paisner & Co. In, in those days. So uh, we're still working with them on, on data issues. So yeah, some of the connections that I, I made at the time uh, are still very much alive. That's amazing. That really is. And actually, I'm, um, I hadn't sort of planned to ask you this question, but I'm, I'm interested to know, you know, the environment, well, the world we're living in now and the, the, the advent of Web3 and blockchain technologies, are you seeing similarities or have you over the last few years compared to back at that time when, you know, the internet exploded, you know, in terms of innovation? Absolutely. I mean, um, I'll give you an example. I think what I think, what I think is going to be uh, pretty revolutionary from a legal perspective is the law around artificial intelligence and the specific laws that are going to be enacted and, and passed regulating the, the development of, and the use of artificial intelligence. Those laws don't exist today. They are, they are in the making. So where we are today in relation to that space is essentially we, where we were in the mid-90s when I was starting as a lawyer in relation to data protection, that it was a time where there was a perceived need that they, the use of data needed to be regulated because there was going to be this massive uh, exponential growth in the use of personal data. And there were risks ar around that that needed to be addressed. And that's what drove to, 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 to pass these new laws. And again, they, they, are complete, they were completely new laws that didn't exist in the, le in the legal framework be before, before then, at least not at a, at a global scale. And, We've seen exactly the same, the same issues. I've said to my team uh, for the past uh, year, a couple of years, if you, if, if you want to really make a career in a new area of law and be, uh, you know, be, be influential in the way in which the law develops, just get into this now. Learn this, what is happening, because there is no 
real uh, expert. There's no global expert today on AI mm. law. You know, yeah. you, you don't have a global expert on, on, on a law that doesn't exist yet, but it is, it is an opportunity for almost everyone to be a specialist mm. in, in this new area. So I think that um, what you say is exactly right. There are, there are developments taking place today, both in terms of what's happening in the world uh, technologically, but what is happening legally that are very similar to what I was seeing 30 years ago. Amazing, yeah, and and it must be, uh, it must be quite a um, uh, you know an experience for you perhaps how within your team um, you know to have people that have got the opportunity to be trailblazers like you were all those years ago, and now you're sort of handing over the baton to them, um, and and no doubt these people have got similar attributes that you've got and had, um, and uh, it must be quite rewarding for you to be able to to do that with your team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our, our team is, is so enthusiastic and, and we've got such, such brilliant people on the team that um, I'm, I'm, exci I'm excited for, for, for all of them in a, in a way. I mean, I'm excited. it's not like I, I want to uh, abandon this, this at all, uh, but I, I can see that uh, there are years ahead of development in, in, the, in these new areas that and there again, if I if I were in, in my mid twenties or late twenties or early thirties, uh, I would say I've got thirty years ahead of me of becoming a real specialist in this, and still be learning by the time I retire. But I think I, I will have contributed to to how this law develops. So I think that's what I think is particularly exciting, and and yes, that's the kind of stuff that we talk at we talk about at team meetings, and I, and I hope uh, people get get this. Absolutely. How exciting. Um, so you then, um, obviously, you spent time at, at what is now uh, Brian K. Paisner. Um, and then you moved, which, um, you know, I think anyone like myself who's been um, in and around the industry for a number of years now um, will know, know you from your time at Field Fisher, um, now Field Fisher Waterhouse. Um, you spent, I think, a decade there. <laughs> um and um, I, I, I guess, um, Eduardo, that you, you, know, you would have joined there perhaps as a, an associate. And by the time you left 10 years later, you were a partner um, of the firm. Can you just give us a, a sort of a, a, some insight into that journey, um, how you found it, and, and maybe a few tips for people who are in a similar situation and would like to ultimately become a partner? Sure, sure. Oh, wow. And go back in time a little bit. Um, so, I mean, the, the, the years are very late on Paysner, I think, were the years where I guess I, I matured as a lawyer from being a, a newly qualified to being a, a very senior associate who, or, who was already confident enough to be in front of clients for, 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 for a bit of time and, uh, and give advice on new issues. And what, what I think led me to Phil Fisher was the opportunity to really uh, build my own practice there, because I, I I got uh, I got to the stage where I had to again make a decision as to whether to continue uh, a, a DLP or uh, take this opportunity. And I was approached by Phil Fisher, which again at the time uh, this is again 2003 or 2004. Um, at the time was uh, small, but actually very very niche and leading firm, and I guess it still is in a way, uh, 
in, in anything to do with technology, with new developments. And at the time, there was a data protection on privacy team at, uh, at Phil Fisher. It was, the, the, it was very well known for outsourcing work, which um, was uh, really cutting edge at the, at the time. And, um, and I, was, uh, I joined uh, with the promise of, if you, if you do well, and if you bring in enough data protection work, you can, you can have your own practice and you become a partner here. And again, I, I saw that as, a, as an opportunity to, uh, to throw myself into, into that. Uh, we form a, a small team and, uh, and yes, I, that led to certainly sufficient work to show that there was work in data protection for a, for a whole new practice, uh, substantial work, good quality. And uh, that is how I, I became a partner at Phil Fisher and it was a fantastic uh, time as well because um, again, the, the, the internet had also matured and uh, some of the issues that we see today, like uh, the, the complexities of international data transfers and global uh, data protection were already starting to develop at, at the time. And that's where I really learned uh, the, the, the complexities, the true complexities of data protection law. So that was, that was a, a fun time. And, and we, we ended up with a very, very large team, which is still, which is still I, I see that as my legacy in a way, is still there <laughs> today. And, and, and I rate the, the lawyers at Phil Fisher very highly because um, again, the, they have retained that, uh, that practice and, and they, are, they are operating at, at a very good level. So yes, that's, uh, that was fun. Excellent. And how long did it take you to become a partner during your time there? So I think it was probably about, I don't know, maybe a couple of years. It probably felt like 10. <laughs> but <laughs> but, but I, I have, from, from the first time, from the first moment, I mean, I would have, uh, I probably said, well, I think I should join as a partner, but they, they, they had all the, all the cards in a way. And they, they said, no, look, this is an opportunity for you. And, uh, but yeah, so it probably took me a couple of years, uh, one to, one to show, uh, that it could be done and another one to show that it, it wasn't just luck. And then after a couple of years, uh, I became a partner. So, uh, wow. It's still pretty quick though, isn't it? I mean, that's not bad. If you think the, the ground was quite fertile in, in the sense that I think they were, hopefully they were half convinced that it, it was going to work uh, at least and that I was going to deliver. And, uh, and the, yeah. I guess, look, the, in a law firm, the, the numbers speak for themselves in a way, and that shows what you are capable of. Yeah, absolutely. So um, just in terms of anyone who's listening, who is currently in a law firm, uh, whatever level they are, but a non-partner at, at the moment, what would be your sort of tips to them, um, you know, in, in terms of really expediting their journey really to the top? So look, it, on our team at, at Holger Lobos, we've got uh, people across the whole range of uh, sort of seniority or, or lack of it. And uh, for example, literally a couple of weeks ago, one of our, one of our trainees that, who had sat with us in her final seat joined the team as a newly qualified. So, and, and we, we recruit uh, the last, I think the last three, uh, three newly qualified have been trainees at Hogan Lobos that have sat with us. 
So we recruit at that at that junior level. And I always say to, 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 to them, I know you don't have a lot of experience and that's, that's logical, uh, but <laughs> you, 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 what you do have is enthusiasm. And I think that's what you can demonstrate. And enthusiasm uh, is useful for a number of things. It's useful because others see that, um, other, um, others believe what you, what you have to say or what you have to contribute and, and pay attention. Enthusiasm is good because it motivates you to, to, to learn more and to, uh, to discover new things. But it's also useful because it kind of takes away the fear of being very, very junior and saying, oh my God, what, I gonna, what am I going to do here surrounded by these people who seem to know their stuff a lot better than, than me? And I think, um, it, you know, that's, that's a little bit how you approach your career at, at that earlier stage. And as then as you progress, uh, without, again, the main message is don't lose that enthusiasm, of, of course, and don't lose that, that willingness to learn, but then use it to make yourself confident so that you believe in what you're, what you're doing and uh, you are prepared to spot opportunities. I think that is really, really important as well. The, the world of uh, in law, I think, or at least what I've seen, is, is full of opportunities because there are always new issues. There are always new challenges. And the law is never simpler. It's always becoming more com complicated. So there are always new, new opportunities. And it's a matter of spotting them and, and pursuing them. And sometimes um, being a junior lawyer gives you the, <laughs> the freedom to, to say, okay, well, this is some, something I'm interested in. Uh, a partner may not have the time to explore this new area. I'm going to say, would you be interested in, in, in writing, in me writing a, a blog post or something uh, about this area? Or, or would it be interesting for the team to have a, a bit of a training session? I'm happy to, to share. Uh, I wrote this memo and I'm happy to, to share it with the team. And is that type of uh, uh, internal uh, uh, sort of uh, work that, that is very, very helpful uh, and that, that, that I encourage everyone to, to, to undertake because that's how, you, how's you, that's how exactly you progress. Yeah, absolutely. And as you demonstrated all those years ago, it's, it's good to take care of photocopying as well and do a good job with that, isn't it? That's, uh, that's also yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, that's... Uh, thoroughly is also good as well, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's, I think for anyone listening who's just sort of starting out in their career or, in, you know, um, a junior level, um, you know, it, it sort of, it shows that it pays to be embracing, to be open-minded, have the energy, um, uh, the desire to really learn and push forward and work hard, all of these sort of attributes that haven't changed over the course of time. Um, across all careers, really, they're still as important today. Obviously, within the world of war, um, of law, sorry, um, you of course have to have a sharp mind and the intellect, obviously, to um, um, you know to, to to do what is very often complex work. Um, along the way, Eduardo, how how important is it, and how important has it been for you to have um, you know really strong relationships with partners or leaders and people who advocate for you. Is, is there anyone that perhaps stands out for you, you know, in your career that's been 
someone who really helped you along the way? Oh, lo- loads, loads of people, I would say. I mean, maybe people who don't even know they were helpful. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I mean, it was start with, a, with a, my first law firm, the, the managing partner at the time, who again, made the decision to, to, to take me on. Uh, he helped me. And then uh, when I went to Paisner & Co, I mentioned Linda Fasani, uh, and uh, there was another partner called Adam Rose, who is now at uh, Mishkans, who were very helpful oh, yeah. in, in, in my career. And, and to be honest, many of the other partners at, at Paisner & Co was a very, very collaborative law firm. And I know we all say that these days, but it was a kind of firm, maybe because it was a, you know, relatively small, uh, where and, and people knew each other, where people were, were keen to help you. And that, that is an amazing place if, if, if you are in a place where people are, are keen to help you um the same thing at three fish and certainly at hogan lobos the the one thing about hogan lobos and we haven't spoken about my jump to hogan lobos but it was uh from going to Phil fisher to one to a law firm that was 10 times the size and i thought oh my god what, what am i gonna be doing here um <laughs> and uh, and even in a big law firm people can be very helpful and have time for you and and that spirit is so 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 important in in any workplace i would i would think and the thing is people are in my view people are always willing to help uh because it's 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 nice it's nice to have people it's nice to work with others that are uh that you you see um are also part of your team and uh, and I think from that perspective I mean the person there was a uh, even people I, I always I'm always complimented I think of people uh, of my own competitors and, and people at other law firms and there was a, when I joined Hoga Lobos the reason why I, I joined them and, I, and <laughs> there was a lot uh, it took a it took a while in the sense that they they had been in touch with me for, for, for quite some time. And I kept saying, look, I'm, I'm living the dream here. I, I've got my own <laughs> practice. I've got a really good team. My my partner, Stuart, it was a Stuart room, uh, the other partner at, uh, in the practice at Phil Fisher. We were, we, we were having a, a, a dream life in the sense that they, we were acting on the coolest, new and most challenging data protection issues. So. But there was a partner at Hoga Lobos in the States who uh, who I knew and I really, really respected, Chris, Chris Wolf. And Chris said to me, come on, come on. Look, I know, I know you, you, you're living the dream, but can, come and talk to us. Can I just have a chat with you? Because I, I, I think that you, 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 could, you could develop even farther in, in this firm because I know you, 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 are, you look uh, globally at these issues and you, you understand the global implications of privacy and data protection. And, um, and that's, that's what, what we are by default in a way. And, and he was also very helpful in, in trying to uh, explain how a big law firm, which I had never been to like a truly big law firm with literally thousands and thousands of lawyers and, and, and literally and nearly a thousand partners. So um, all of these people that you encounter in, in your career and are able to contribute things to, to what you do are, are extremely helpful. And I think um, it's, it's almost 
uh, is something that we, we should all always re- reciprocate with. Um, mm. and, and I think that that's uh, ultimately w- the working environment is, is a very social environment, even even in pandemic times. So um, being able to, to have these relationships is, is really crucial. Absolutely. And, and, what, and what would you say, um, Eduardo, to someone who's listening now who is considering not, not just a career in law within privacy, but a career in privacy itself? If, um, if they were saying, Eduardo, shall I make the leap? Shall I do it? What do you think? Well, I mean, what can I, what can I say? When, uh, again, when I was, I don't know, in my late 20s and I was saying to my parents at the time, uh, I, I think I'm going to be a data protection lawyer. They said, are you sure? Are you, like, <laughs> shouldn't you be a, a commercial lawyer just to, to widen your horizons a bit? And I said, no, no, this, this is going to be really, really big. <laughs> and, and, and it turned out to be right. But uh, and, and, uh, and I'm glad they supported me, by the way. They didn't think I, I was crazy. But uh, it's still the same today. Uh, privacy, cybersecurity are some of the biggest legal issues of our time because they affect everything. There is every single organization out there uh, that relies on data today, to not just to, to, to succeed, but to survive. And the value of data has proven how important uh, data protection law is because it regulates a very, very, very important uh, asset for an, an, an valuable uh, item for, for the world. And therefore, it will, it will always be there. But it's also very political. Uh, we see a lot of data protectionism at the time, uh, at the moment. And, at the, and we also see all kinds of uh, challenges around uh, access to data uh, internationally by companies, by law enforcement. And these issues are not going to go away. So uh, the, the future is, is bright in, in, in privacy and, the, and data protection and cybersecurity. And, um, and as you said at the very beginning, it's a, uh, it's a very wide trend. In the old days, it was just a handful of lawyers and the odd consultant. But uh, right now, people from all, all backgrounds have a role to play. And indeed, it's, 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 be, it's become so complex that it's a truly multidisciplinary uh, area. And, uh, and mm-hmm. doing, doing privacy right and, uh, and organizations uh, need to um, face very, very difficult challenges always requires this sort of multidisciplinary approach to, to the issue. So uh, yeah, great future ahead. Uh, I can promise you that. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, so just a couple of quick questions, um, uh, just perhaps for a little bit of fun here. But um, what, what, who, who do you think, Eduardo, in your opinion, um, internationally is the most influential person currently in privacy? Wow. The most influential person in uh, privacy. Wow. Um, <laughs> Globally, I, th- I think if you look at what is happening globally, a lot of it is uh, is driven by uh, sort of international uh, compliance and international. So anyone who is involved in uh, sort of getting uh, the, 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 the global piece of, of data protection right will be very important. I mean, perhaps jokingly, someone who has contributed a lot 
to the success of data protection prof professionals is our friend Max Schrems, who uh, <laughs> has managed to get so much attention to the to this issue and so much um, has shaken things so much that I, I remember uh, having an exchange with him on Twitter saying, my friend, you, you, you are the number one uh, work generator for, for data protection lawyers because uh, the issues that he has uh, uncovered in a way uh, are very, very relevant today. So, yeah, but uh, I'm sure there are many, many people who are influential. And as I say, uh, it, it, it's, it's also a very political issue. So uh, governments around the world, including the UK, that are looking into how to develop uh, a data protection public policy uh, anyone working in government will be very influential in that respect. Indeed, indeed. Um, and final question for you. Who would be your ultimate dinner guest? Wow. Or guests? It, ultimate dinner <laughs> guest. Someone interesting uh, to have the dinner with. Um, well, let me, there's a, have you heard of, a, uh, there's a writer called Malcolm Gladwell. I've been reading uh, one of his books uh, recently. Ma Malcolm Gladwell is, um, I think he's Canadian, like like my wife. So I think he, we would, uh, he would probably accept an invitation and we would we could talk about kind of, uh, he, he's, he, he writes um, books about loads of things that are going on in, in the world. And he's also a runner. Uh, I heard a podcast with him when he was talking about, and then I am a runner. So we could probably talk about run as well as uh, the things going on in the world. So Malcolm Gladwell would be an interesting uh, uh, dinner dinner companion, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna look him up, um, and it's good good to know that uh, Mrs. Oosteran would also be very accommodating as well uh, with the Canada link. So yeah, I mean, um, the absolute best and healthiest food as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, excellent. Well, I, I think that's just about us finished, um, Eduardo. I'd just like to say a massive thank you to you uh, for sharing your story. I'm sure um, anyone who's listened to this will have taken lots away from it. Uh, you've really given us all a great insight into your career and, um, uh, you know, some, some great messages to take away. Um, so, you know, on behalf of everyone, really, you know, keep up the great work, please. Um, and, and you've been a, such a positive influence on the world of privacy uh, and inspiration to others for, for many years now. So, Please keep up the good works. And, and um, to our listeners, thank you very much for listening. I look forward to discussing more journeys through privacy with more special guests soon. Um, but um, bye for now and take care. Thank you very much.